0: Start Me a podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network, in association with Mueller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson, and today I'm so excited. I get to talk to Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's. She has a book out called All I Ever Wanted. It's really, really good. So we're going to talk all about it. But before we get into it. The Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's Woman Run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreon.com/slash startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com slash startmeup and don't forget. Forget You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Please enjoy my conversation with Kathy Valentine. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Um, Thank you. Hi. I'm so excited to talk to you. You don't even know. (laughs) Just like I'm fangirling all over the place. So you'll just have to excuse me. Um, (laughs) Before we get started, I was told to say hello to you from Ronnie Burnett from the Muffs. So um, (laughs) I'm sorry, you just kind of went out a little bit.
1: Oh, I was, I, I just said, I'm sorry. I said, I said, I love Ronnie. And then I kind of said, but who doesn't love Ronnie?
0: <laughs> well, the funny thing about this is that I went to school in Southern California. I went to South High School. That was one of them. And there was this girl named Julie who I, was in school with me and I didn't, I didn't know her, but I know her now from Facebook and I'm associated with Muller She wrote podcast. And so I, I learned that Julie was on that podcast and uh, Julie is also friends with a friend that I had back in LA and it's, and then she was on my podcast and her boyfriend is Ronnie Burnett. So I just, it's like the funniest small world thing ever. So. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs>
1: I've never, but I have seen, I have seen him post about her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny. All right, so let oh, th- enough oh. enough about me. Um, I just finished your book this morning, and I will say that uh, there were some parts i i tried I tried to cram it all in as fast as I could. It it was it's such a good book. Of course, I've been a fan of the Go Go's, but your writing is insane. It's wonderful. I loved it, and I just I mean, before I start asking you questions, I want to kind of give my quick little review in that you made this uh, journey, like we took the journey with you. You obviously start from when you're a kid. There were parallels in your life that with mine, I mean, the, the mother, you were your good friends with your mother and you know, your father was more the traditional type. That was exactly what I experienced. I grew up in Los Angeles. I, I feel like even though we're slightly different in age, I was born in 1968. We, we walked some of the same paths. I'm not, you know, a famous musician or anything, but, just wonderful parallels and then the thing is the way that you write this you, you 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 start off as you're just everybody else and you're you know you're interested in music and and then there's like the parts in the book when you're talking about meeting Bowie and the Stones and you know being friends with the Rob Lowe and all the stuff and and it's like funny because you I, we get to know you in a way where we feel like we are you and then we get to have these experiences through you of having this amazing life as being a band member in a huge rock band and meeting other rock stars and it's like you write it so effortlessly and it's like it's such an easy read but it's such an exciting and deep and I mean there's so many wonderful adjectives that I want to throw in there. It was so good I recommend it to everybody and then also when you read it go give her a review please because everybody needs reviews this book is fantastic so now what I want to ask you is what inspired you to write it?
1: Well, um, thank you for, for what you noticed and picked up. Um, and I, I felt like I had a, a compelling story. Mm-hmm. And I felt like um, I, there was a lot that contributed to me wanting to write it. I've, I've always been interested in writing. Um, and I, I'm very spoiled because I actually had a book deal when I wrote the book, which mm-hmm. is you know, the, the holy grail for mm-hmm. a writer to mm-hmm. know that you're writing something that will be published. <laughs> right. that You're not going to have to face, like, rejection after rejection. Mm-hmm. So I had the best possible scenario. Uh, it came about... I'm sorry. I'm a little. I I just start talking and just if I I off topic. Sorry, but you'll get good stuff. Um, So it it happened. It so happened that I had been writing some essays about different parts of my life. I really felt like I was never going to come to terms with my the way I was raised and my relationship with my mom and stuff unless I wrote it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had been writing some essays about different things I had gone through. And then I did a panel at the Texas Book Festival where someone from UT Press saw me and she had been, they had been publishing some very cool music-oriented books, especially with a a tilt towards women authors. Mm. And they approached me and asked if I would be interested. And I said yes. And they basically said, good, we want you to do it. And I kind of went, well, don't you want to see my writing? And it was like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> and I, I think the thought was like, whatever. We just want her book. We don't right. care if she can write or not. We can always get someone to do I, I think that was what was behind it. But I wanted to make sure that I got to write the book I wanted to write. Yeah. Because I had spoken to an agent once a couple of years prior who had basically said, "You'll never get a book deal unless you write a tell-all about the Go Go's," <laughs> and that wasn't the book I wanted to write. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write my story, uh, of which of which the Go Go's is a part of, but mm-hmm. it is not my entire story. Right. Um, so I sent her some some writing samples and a couple of very like nail, knuckle biting or whatever you call it nail biting knuckle mm-hmm. white knuckle weeks went by <laughs> where I thought, Oh my God, I've blown it. I've blown it. And then she came back and said, I want this book more than I've wanted any other book. Wow. <laughs> you, you could go to any publisher, you know, we're a small nonprofit press, but there's good things about being with us. And I was just sold. I go, you yeah. guys believe in me, you, you know, you, yeah. you, you're willing to sign me right now. No, I want to be on UT Press. And I'm really glad I did. I love being there. So that was part of it. I had a book deal. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, The other part was that I had read I'm not a huge fan of music memoirs, but I had written, I had read a few memoirs that really um, resonated with me. Mary Carr, The Liars Club, um, Just Kids by Patti Smith, Bob Dylan's Cro- I'd read a few memoirs that I felt like this is the kind of book I want to write. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, just sat down and started writing it and one of the things i'm the most proud of is that so many of my readers say oh i thought the go-go's would be the most interesting part of this story (laughs) but i found you know it was before it was the journey getting there it Mm -hmm. was what happened after when you lost it all Mm -hmm. and that's what the story is it's really about you know wanting something, going for it, getting it, losing it all, having to put yourself back together, Mm -hmm. and it's also very much about what the title, All I Ever Wanted, which is not only the key line in my most trademark (laughs) best-known song, Vacation, but it also wraps up exactly what that the book is about which is it's not only all I ever wanted was to be in a big band but all I wanted was to feel like I was in a family and that I yeah. belonged and that I had a place in the world which I just had a very uh, very inconsistent insecure uh, random chaotic childhood so and anyway. <laughs> There's your big
0: answer. Well, yeah. And I mean, like I said, there were certain parallels. I I mean, my mother and your mother were similar and different, just like anything else. But I, I so identified with that single mom being your friend scenario. And it's interesting because I think at some point in the book, you said something along the lines of you didn't really have anything to rebel against. And I used to say that to my, I mean, I used to say that when I got a little older, I said, you know, my mother was permissive. And I mean, there was this one time when I was 15 and I desperately wanted to have a one o'clock in the morning curfew because I think it was midnight and I just wouldn't let up and I just kept browbeating my mother, but this and but that, but just, finally I won and I got the one o'clock curfew, but all my friends had to be home by midnight. So I was always <laughs> home before midnight anyway. But I mean, I just, I feel like, you know, there was a similarity there and that you were kind of like this... young girl who just got all kinds of permission to go do what you want to do. And I guess in some ways that's good. In some ways that's difficult. But you also mention in your story that you're a reader, which is apparent when you read your book. And it's not surprising to learn that the Go-Go's were all smart and well-read. And I really like that you address that in the book, basically because patriarchy, you know? So I just would like for Mm -hmm. you to talk about that a little bit. You know, I mean, we'll get into um, the differences in how female bands and male bands are treated and all that goes along with it. But I mean, just in the intelligence part of it, what about that? How, how, let me see, how could I say this? The fact that all of you were intelligent and knew your shit and had your shit together, even though you were young and going crazy and having fun, how how do you think that affected the band, your, your collective intelligence?
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say we had our shit together, but we, <laughs> mentally, we everybody, <then. laughs> everybody was very young, um, and it was important to me to write a book that, number one, conveyed how much music was a part of my life, even before I was a musician. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, everybody knows that. Muddy Waters and Buddy Holly like influenced the Beatles and the Stones and Mm -hmm. it's like women have the same kind of passion Mm -hmm. for music that men do and so I really wanted to have it come across what just like how music saved me it really saved me and uh, it's just was a, a wonderful thing to kind of just figure out that this was how I was going to make my way through the world and uh, as far as I wanted to really bring the reader into the story as you noted I Mm -hmm. wanted people there was two things I was concerned with number one that it wasn't like oh this happened and then this happened and then this happened (laughs) I wanted my reader to know what it felt like Mm -hmm. and that was the, the biggest challenge it was really important to me that It'd be well written because I wanted to open the door to anyone that read this that I'm a writer I'm not just a bass player you know Mm -hmm. I it's one of the ironies of my career that the thing I'm the most known for is probably not the thing that I'm best at Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's just one of those career ironies Um, but I wanted people to go wow she's a writer and i would like to read anything else that this writer writes that was important to me um and it was also important to me that people were there alongside me and that's why i wanted to talk about the band and the and the way it really was the way that i want people to know who they are i don't want it to to just it's just part of being a good writer, I think. Right. And so, you know, whether somebody reads a book or likes art films or, you know, just what they do when they are tired or when they're upset, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. these are the insights into a person. And that's what I tried to do with with anybody that I wrote about was like, I don't want it just to be, oh, and then I met John and he was five 5'10 <laughs> five and had brown hair. That's not telling anybody anything. Right.
0: You know, there were a couple of different times in the book you mentioned kind of like manifesting Uh, your situation and I'm totally into intentional manifesting. And so I'm just wondering a little bit about that. Now you talked about, there was a couple of different times when you mentioned it and I wish I could remember the exact words that you had written down about visualizing a scene and then it played out right in front of you. So I'm just curious how much of this do you think is manifesting like at least intentionally or, or do you feel like a lot of this happens uh, maybe unintentional manifesting where you 're just you know putting one foot in front of the other and then this is how it 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 falls out because of the choices you make like how much of how much of this was intentional
1: well, I believe like most things in in uh our world that there's a duality you know to just about everything and there's a you know there's a positive negative there's Uh, a dark and light there's all you know there's there's a duality and I believe that there's you know intentional kind of I don't know about manifesting is 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 but I think there is randomness and then there is sometimes almost you know I hate to say it but a divine order and Mm -hmm. you know I do believe that both things come into play as if you are paying attention and kind of aware and just look at the way things unfold sometimes you will see kind of both at play yeah and I was very very uh, I I still believe that that thoughts are and words are extremely powerful Mm -hmm. not to sound all woo-woo where, oh, I just (laughs) sit around and visualize things and they happen. Right. No, that's not what happens. But at the same time, you know, if I can't see clearly something, I I kind of don't pursue it. Like, I I have to kind of, in my mind, feel a certain – first, it starts off with a tug, Mm -hmm. you know, just a little tug where you just feel like, oh – I'd be interested in designing jewelry, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like everybody feels these little kind of just a little urge, a little tug, and then you have a choice right there. Do you just ignore it and blow it off, or do you kind of keep it and kind of just nurture it a little bit? Mm -hmm. So I, I believe that, you know, sometimes it starts out with this little urge, and then you kind of make a step towards it because if it popped in if it's something that kind of appealed to you there might be something there that Mm -hmm. maybe it's gonna and you go a little bit further and you go a little further and then all of a sudden you're willing to put in the work and the
0: effort and the time Mm -hmm. to to make it happen wow that's that's a fantastic answer and i'm totally right there with you i talk a lot on my Patrons only show about like intentional manifesting and stuff like that. So I think that's a really good way to yeah. to make it clear.
1: And it can work bad too. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I've like wished for things that <laughs> that that unfolded in a way that were quite unpleasant. But I ended up
0: getting what I wanted. But yikes! Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. Yes, that's a very good point. In fact, that's just happened to me recently. <laughs> um, You know, I was also wondering. You're like,
1: I hate this. You could be like, I hate this job. I wish I was doing, I wish I could do something else. And then you get like, oh, guess what? You're fired. Exactly.
0: Well, I mean, I'm looking at Twitter right now and Elon Musk is, you know, looking to purchase it and I'm not looking, I don't want to, I don't like him. And so I'm kind of looking at it like that. You know, I want a change in my life. I've been actively trying to manifest a change in my life. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe, not that I think I manifest, him buying Twitter, but just the events in my life unfolding in such a way, I guess we will wait and see. But this interview is not about me. So um, now I want to ask you this too. You were very young when you, obviously you were drawn to music and you say it saved your life. Um, when you were coming up and you were a teenager, you were looking at all kinds of you'd see like Blondie, but that wasn't an all girl band. So you would see women in music but you didn't see all women bands. And I'm just wondering if at the time, did you see that as an obstacle? Did you feel insecure about that? Did you have a determination or were you just like, I don't know where this is going to take me, but I just have to go do it.
1: Well, I, by the time I was aware of Blondie, I was already a musician, but what, what what, what happened for me was, and it's what I said in the rock hall acceptance speech it said you know there wouldn't be less of us if more of us were visible mm-hmm. and me there it, it wasn't visible there had been all-female bands Goldie and the Gingerbreads were in 1962 wow. but you know when I picked up a guitar in 1974 there was not an internet there was not mm-hmm. a YouTube mm-hmm. uh, And if a band didn't have albums and weren't on the radio, you know, there was no MTV. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there wasn't that visibility, I wouldn't have known. So there were all-female bands. There was, you know, the debutantes. You can go on YouTube now, just put all-female bands of the 60s, and you will see lots and lots of them. And it's mind-blowing because I think it's a shame and it's a part of our history, Mm -hmm women's history and music. And I think there would have been a lot more young teenage girls starting bands in the 70s mm-hmm. and in the late 60s had they known, you mm-hmm, know, but there, mm-hmm. there just wasn't that access. And I don't think that not being huge or in the charts or having albums that everyone knew about, like like all the, the male bands did, doesn't invalidate right uh, that. It's still, it's a shame that, it wasn't visible because I think there would have been a lot more girls. But for me, the key moment was seeing Susie Quattro on television in England. My mom's English uh, was English. She passed away recently, but um, so we would often go to England. We're there. I've been playing guitar. I love rock and roll. I love the stones. I love the faces. I love the Beatles. I love Led Zeppelin. I love Mm -hmm. all these bands that are guys. I'm playing the guitar. Never occurs to me that I can be in a band wow. until I'm in England. And I turn on the TV. Top of the Pops is on. It's a music show. And then I see that for the very first time, it wasn't the first time ever, but it was the first time I saw a woman not being the lead singer, but leading the band, playing an instrument, And she was the lead singer, too, but that's Mm -hmm. just not all she was doing. She was a band leader. She was playing a musical instrument. She had a, you know, it was plugged into an amp. She was, and it blew my mind, blew my mind. And that's when I decided that I was going to do that. The reason, and that was a very quick jump to, like, why why aren't there all... Why aren't there bands with women? Mm -hmm. A lot of the reason I wanted to play with people, I wanted to play with my peers, you know. Mm -hmm. I also figured that it would be easier to have a band with people, you know, friends, girls my age. My first band wasn't just females, but my goal was to see in the musical landscape female versions of the Stones. And still (laughs) to this day, I would like to see you know the female Foo Fighters and Mm -hmm. Green Day and there's just all the bands you see that are sustained international known bands, they're still guys Mm -hmm. you know, not to say there aren't some cool female bands, there are but the ones that are really big that everyone knows about you know, they're they're guys and it it hasn't changed, a lot has changed but that seems like as:
0: in. so true okay we have to take a quick break but we'll be back after this message hey this is Kimberly real quick if you're not already a patron of the show please check out patreon.com slash start me up you'll see all the different tier options I would really appreciate it if you check them out and become my patron you'll have my undying gratitude thanks so much okay we are back um okay before I start asking go-go questions I do want to address the fact that you talked very candidly in your book about having abortions, and you talked about having one at a very young age of 12, and you also had one at 23 when you were like right in the heat of the you know go-go's stardom. Um, and right now, obviously, that right is very delicate, and uh, you know a lot of people have lost it in this country. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in next two or is it next Tuesday already? I don't even know. It's a week and a half away that we're going to have an election that's going to decide this. But, um, or at least help it along. Hopefully we can save that right. But I would like for you to just talk about it in any way that you feel is important, because obviously there's going to be, whether it's women listening or men listening, it's not just a women's issue, but it was something that affected you. And I love the way you shared the story because you did not talk about it devastating your life. And so often we hear, oh, it's this horrible decision. And of course it's never easy. But it's it's certainly not, in my opinion, the kind of decision or the way that people describe it and act like it's the the worst possible thing a woman could face or a a pregnant person could face. So could you just speak to your experience with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was nervous to write about abortion. I thought that I would get like lots of, you know, mail from like zealots and stuff Mm -hmm. and calling me a baby color and stuff. (laughs) So I, I didn't. I wasn't thrilled with that, but I also felt like it was just super important for the stories to get out there and you know I guess to me it seems absolutely absurd to think that a twelve year old who, you know, is coerced into I was not raped, but I was coerced. I had no guidance and I had no um No father and I had my mom was just kind of barely keeping herself together so when it wasn't hard to coerce uh, a confused and lost 12 year old Mm -hmm. who was already drinking and getting high to have sex and the first time I did have sex I did get pregnant and to me whether it's then in 1971, this was pre Roe v. Wade, mm-hmm. or whether it's now in 2022, the idea is absurd mm-hmm. that a 12-year-old girl would be forced to have birth, you know, to, to, yeah. to give birth, to carry a child, to term. It's just an absurd absurdity, mm-hmm. and it astounds me that apparently there are lots of lots of people that think that's just fine and dandy i yeah. mean it's just a- appalling to me so i can't even imagine uh how that would have impacted me yeah. to, to be forced to do that um and then the second abortion again it wasn't it wasn't being irresponsible i mm-hmm. was using birth control it didn't work um back then a lot of people used diaphragms and mm-hmm. it, you, they're not the easiest thing but it was all I had I tried being on the pill and it had been really difficult on me so mm-hmm. this is what I was using and I accidentally got pregnant and it was right when uh, we were right in the middle of our very biggest tour and if I had not been able to get an abortion I would have had to leave the band. The tour would have had to grind to a halt. There's Mm -hmm. no reason. There's no way you can hire somebody, you know. I mean, I guess I just can't even think about it. I don't even need to make all these excuses. It's just (laughs) like, well, why would, you know, my dream's coming true, and I'm supposed to just walk away and become like a 23-year-old mother with no money and no no means and no maturity. I had the maturity of a teenager, you know, until I was – Probably thirty. So yeah, it was. Uh, if, if I had, and it just it just makes me crazy to think because the the privileged people will still get their abortion. Of course, yes. I I know a Republican woman who actually said to me, "Well, if my daughter gets pregnant, you know, of course I would have her get an abortion." Mm-hmm. And that's the hypocrisy behind so many of them, and it just—it infuriates, it enrages me to think of the the women that don't have that privilege, that whose lives are are never going to be fully realized. Who, how much we're, you know, what we're going to miss out on in this mm-hmm. world in terms of leaders and mm-hmm. creativity and innovation and. You know, there's so many minds and capable, incredible women that if they are forced to become mothers or have or stop what they're doing or stop their trajectory to just go through that. It's just unbelievable. I I, I can go. I could go on. I could do an entire
0: (laughs) Well, and it it reminds me, you know, I mean, first of all, I wrote a book, Peyton's Choice, which is about a, a 17 year old getting pregnant. And, and having to deal with choosing abortion and all of that. And I, what I really wanted to do, it's for young adults, but I, what I wanted was for it to be something that she didn't regret, and it wasn't this horrible thing. I mean, it wasn't fun. Nobody wants to go through that procedure. But everybody wants, well, most people want that option. And I remember, you know, watching Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and uh, the, I can't remember the girl's name, but she gets an abortion, and it's not a big deal. You know, I mean, she gets it and it's over and that's it. It's not like yeah. she's regretting and, and and it's because oftentimes even from liberal voters who may have never had that experience, they assume that it's just this awful, heart-wrenching thing. And it's not necessarily that. I mean, could be for some people. Everybody's different. But I just like the way that you handled it because you are very matter-of-fact. You are upfront. And it's obvious to everybody reading it. Why you made those choices, and yeah. I mean, I would have made exactly the same choices, so I just wanted to address that because we're in the middle of this horrible it's just as you, everything you're pointing out is just so horrible with what's going yeah. on in our politics right now. Um, okay, so let's go to that fateful night when I believe it was at the whiskey when you were asked to sub for the go go's bassists, and um, I hope I'm getting this right. Uh, can you just share? I mean, I like also that you say that you wanted people to understand what it felt like, because that's like the whole key to life. What does it feel like? So what was going on in your mind? I know you wrote about it, but I want you to just kind of talk about it here. How did you feel when you were asked and what what did you expect? And then how did you prepare? Um, well, it was uh, one of
1: those... Life changing random encounters, you know. I, mm-hmm. If I had not, so I acknowledge that in my book, like yeah. just the kind of magical wonder of these random moments that are truly your entire life pivots on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I happen to be in a place and in a time where I saw a member of the Go Go's and they just happened to have a pretty major engagement coming up it was eight sold-out shows and their bass player was sick and she said she first thing she said was do I play bass and I said yes which I had always played guitar but it, it was like to me it was you know the same shape as <laughs> a guitar with four strings and they're thicker and I it didn't occur to me that I wouldn't be able to do it right. if I could play guitar why not and uh I had about four days to learn the songs the entire set, and then show up and rehearse with them and um i was I don't know that I've had too many times in my life where I've had sustained such an intense focus mm-hmm. i mean that was I was consumed with it. It was really represented an opportunity to mm-hmm. me this This seemed like an opportunity this was why. I picked up a guitar this was why I had decided to move to LA this was what my most driving ambition and goal was was to you know make it in the music business and the Go-Go's at that time they were doing pretty well Mm -hmm. and I write about when I first saw them in LA and they weren't doing that well they were beginners Mm -hmm. and a year later they had done a lot of work and they had added a great drummer and they were a very different band. So by the time I was asked, this was like something that I thought this is an opportunity. Hmm. And I saw it that way. And I was very determined not only to do the job really well, but to hopefully do it so well that I would not, it would not be a one-time job that I would be asked to stay. So I was very focused, very determined, Uh, very driven and it went the way I wanted it to go and it was you know exactly uh, I loved conjuring up on the page what it felt like to be on stage Mm -hmm. with them Mm -hmm. for that first time and you know I don't really in a conversation it's different you know prose and literary writing is different than a conversation so I'm not going to try to redo that recreate that but it was really fun to write and conjure up what it felt like and throughout the book I would often write about something like that and I would look the next day and I'd go yeah this is good this is good writing Mm -hmm. good sentences (laughs) And but I would see something was missing. I'm like, mm-hmm. what did it really feel like? What did yeah. it feel like? You know, how can I bring that to my reader where they're not just reading what happened? Right. You know, yeah. And so I, I felt like I really captured it and was really happy with that. That's why that's how the book starts is with the that thing happening and me going on stage and Mm -hmm. playing with them that's that's
0: uh chapter one yeah and i mean i want to reiterate what you're saying because the questions that i'm asking you and in some cases i basically know the answer because i've read what you wrote but i know that reading it is a completely different experience because it's like we're living through you. And so, you know, you can listen to somebody on a podcast describe to a degree what they've written. It's nothing like actually reading the book, because you're just in it. And you're in that world. And it's almost like you can feel it and smell it. And so you did a fantastic job of sharing what that felt like. And I can only imagine I mean, this is, of course, when the parallel stopped, because I've never had anything like that. And I I can only imagine what it would feel like. So it's great to kind of have that window into uh, what it's like to be in a, a really cool band and a really, a really cool situation. And of course this leads me to, you know, okay, you guys find your success. And I mean, I've seen the documentary, which I wanted to watch before this interview and I haven't had time. I've already seen it, but I wanted to rewatch it. I'm going to go watch it again, but I'd like for you to just talk about the differences that, I noticed one thing you talked about is that there are no male groupies, like there are female groupies. So there's differences in having an all-female band as opposed to an all-male band. And could you just talk about a little bit what are those differences, some of them?
1: Well, um, at the time when, when we became uh, known, for many people, we were the very first all-female band that they had seen – and I think what I wrote in the book was that you know we weren't the first, but right. we were the first many had seen we were the first that were you know via m t v and, right. and yes, exactly and put yeah. put into people's into people's living rooms, and that meant thirteen year olds and fourteen i mean if you were 18 or in your 20s, uh, late teens or 20s, you could probably go see bands and clubs, and you might catch us on on our very first tour where we're playing the the rock club in your town. But if you're 13 or 14, you're not going to be at the clubs, and but you probably will be watching MTV. So there we are. We're getting we're getting known, and um, because people hadn't seen that before, because a lot of them, and because it was. A novelty it meant that we we were like courted a lot by mm-hmm. you know it can be difficult to get you know a radio station to let you come by or to want to hang out with you or maybe to get everybody to interview you like not every band can pull into Cincinnati and, and get a feature in the mm-hmm. music section mm-hmm. but for us everybody wanted to talk to us and wanted to to kind of see what we were like and be around us so it was um a lot of war i think that was different if mm-hmm. had we been a, a young male band you know i don't know if we would have gotten hmm. that access to to like continue it was almost like uh, a circus like you no, know, i want to see. i want to see what they're like it didn't necessarily help us sell records but it was we did mm-hmm. have a lot of that and the the media perception of or tendency to want to kind of box the female persona into some kind of existing stereotype uh, came about pretty quickly. And um, it's, it's still quite prevalent. You know, there's, you know, the, the girl next door. And I mean, you see it, you see it all the time as somebody, you know, there's the, the woman that's just kind of, it's just I don't even know I don't want to even go into it but we were kind of boxed up as the as the girl next door the 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 cute fun girls the cute fun bubbly girls the cute fun (laughs) bubbly effervescent girls and you know we were fun yeah it was a fun band you know I'm not saying that we weren't fun and we did make people happy and yet that wasn't it wasn't a two-dimensional we weren't That's not all we were. Mm -hmm. You know, we had smart lyrics. We had really good songs. Nobody ever asked us, you know, about our songwriting other than who writes the songs. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked, you know, about that stuff or what our influences were or what it was like to start out, you know, being a musician. And it just didn't happen, you know. And another thing that I really noticed is that, like, nowadays, you go see – you go see someone play, whether it's Beyonce or Harry Styles or Pink or Lenny Kravitz or so many people that are like artists, going back to Prince, David Bowie, and there's females in the band. There there are women mm-hmm. playing in the band. And when I started out, you never saw anyone. I mean, that was not an option. Mm-hmm. That was not. And I would love that. I would have loved to, if I hadn't gotten in a big band, that's what I would have loved to do It's yeah. just get hired to play with cool, my favorite artist you know oh wow I could play guitar with David Bowie oh wow right, I could, yeah. but that didn't happen then now it does mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I'm most happy about that has changed you know when I saw Harry Styles a couple of weeks ago he had three women in his band mm-hmm. and the audience was you know thousands and thousands of girls seeing that and I think some of them are going to go oh I think that'd be cool to play in Harry's band I think (laughs) I'll start playing guitar or I'll start playing drums so I do like that
0: yeah and I mean it was also interesting just to cover this that you know you kind of detail uh, talking about the writing how your pay structures were when it came to writing and what you guys did and how it helped and hurt. And I thought that was fascinating. And, you know, I mean, you also mentioned Vacation. You wrote Vacation. It was a big, big, big hit. Um, I think reading this book like I said, different, different than watching the documentary. You just get that inside kind of look. I so highly recommend this to people. And I, and I want to reiterate what you did too. Okay. You're not somebody who likes to always read. Um, I can't remember what the term is, but books about musicians, um, and their experiences, but this, and, and I haven't read too many of them. I don't even know if I ever really have. I know, um, a friend of mine, I did read his book, he wrote about being a fan of U2, but it was really connected to his personal experiences and how U2 helped him get through it. But it wasn't like from, a, a you know, one of the band members. So reading this from you, it was so different than the documentary because it is your story. Um, that's number one. But number two, it's like, oh, all these really cool insights and how the band worked and everything. And so what one of the things that I wanted to ask you, too, was you talk about how you were searching for a family and how you were you know looking for that camaraderie and I know you found it in that band and so I'm just I I wonder what could you just talk a little bit about what it meant to you what it felt like and what it meant to you to have that and then I'm also curious as a follow up are you guys still very close do you still feel like you're a family how how does that work Well the uh
1: I mean for me I- writing the book made me realize that it it made me realize for the first time that that's what the the band represented to me that's what any Mm -hmm. band represented was family Mm -hmm. like sisters you know Mm -hmm. I grew up as an only child with a single mom and it felt very odd it wasn't like anybody else in my schools or my classes you know me just being me and my and I said to my mom once when I was a little girl. I said, Mom, what's a family? Wow. And she said, Oh, well, we're a family, you and me and the kitties. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: what I had. <laughs> and I was just like,
1: uh, that doesn't seem like a family to me. <laughs> so I, I I had a longing, a, a real longing, and I brought that into the band and and not everybody has the same I don't want to call it an agenda, but not everyone comes into a band with the same mm-hmm. Kind of needs and desires. Right. And I, besides it being my goal and my dream to make it, I really, I didn't know at the time that's what I craved. Mm-hmm. It, it took being a grown up and being sober and having, you know, and writing the book. So, yeah, that was, that was probably, I was probably the only one in the band that that's what it meant to me, family, mm-hmm. which meant I was devastated when we when the band broke up yeah devastated because not only was i losing my family i was losing the the first security i'd ever felt mm-hmm. in my life in terms of being able to make money and you know not only that i was taking care of my mom so it represented yeah. Everything to me it was my success my dream my family my security and it was it was devastating and I went into a real tailspin after losing the band uh, and the way my book ends is I get sober and the band comes back after a five-year breakup and we kind of heal the wounds and we do a reunion and we start touring again and I kind of get to do it again mm-hmm. so it ends in, in um, basically 1990 so it's now 2022 and the story went on mm-hmm. from there and it's a, a very at times extremely dysfunctional toxic story and very much like family still mm-hmm. and there's been you know a lot of unpleasantness, but there's also been a lot of wonderfulness and, um, you know, culminating with getting into the rock and roll hall of fame Mm -hmm. right now. We're on a hiatus. I I don't know what's in the future or of anything. I I know better with this band than to Mm -hmm. assume it's over, but I never assume it's happening either. I try to, you know, and to be honest, I, I don't want to be, just known for being the bass player in the Go-Go's. So I've, I've done so many things. I, I, I'm a great writer. I'm a great producer. I, I write really good songs. I, I have a great band that I play with in Austin, and there's there's a lot more that I could easily succeed at and do, and I would like to have that chapter open. But after overcoming a lot of bad, dysfunctional, awful things, and doing a lot of really cool, fun things. You know, I I think we're all on, on pretty good terms with each other. And we do, you know, we're not best friends. Mm-hmm. It's not like I go, you know, go to L.A. and stay with Charlotte or something. But, mm-hmm. but you know, things happen. I mean, Gina came and visited me a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm planning on going to James' wedding in January. And... Belinda lives in Mexico City and every you know every month or so I'll she or I will FaceTime each other and just mm. catch up and Charlotte and I have things in common with our sobriety and mm-hmm. and being moms of, of young women so yeah we're in touch and best friends no but it's you know you're not best friends with your sister either you know right obviously.
0: yes <laughs> I was just going to say that in a family situation, you're not always best friends. Um, yeah. So now, I mean, obviously you're writing, you're doing a bunch of stuff, as you said. Uh, but your writing career is you all by yourself. You were in a band. You, When you're making music, you often have to depend on others. But when you're a writer, you're basically, I mean, yes, you have people who will publish, publish the book for you, but you're on your own and you're like the solo act now. So I'm wondering, you know, how you're liking that. And, like, what are the differences that you find that being part of something as opposed to venturing out on your own?
1: Well, when I wrote the book, I realized that it was the very first time in my entire career that I was just Kathy Valentine. And mm-hmm. uh, I liked it, you know, <laughs> I really liked it. And I booked a 25-city tour. I should mention that I did a soundtrack to my book, which is a very innovative, interesting idea. And as far as I know, I'm the only musician that's done that. Mm -hmm. And I think people have put out a record at the same time, but this is a soundtrack. It's available separately from the book or it's integrated into the audio book, and people love that. It's a whole different experience to to getting the story. But um, my goal was to go on this tour. I I booked a 25-city tour. My book was coming out April 1st and, you know, global pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so the entire tour was canceled. And it's a miracle that I was able to get the press and accolades and reviews that I did because of the pandemic. It Mm -hmm. was really the worst possible thing that could have happened (laughs) to a new author. Wow. Uh, But um, what I was excited about and what I've now been able to do a little bit since things have eased and opened up for better or worse as you look at it um, is I have gotten to do some uh, personal appearances and some speaking things. And uh, I really like being myself. If I had one thing I would do differently, I would have started being Kathy Valentine a long, long time ago. Hmm. You know, I think, I think when I, I think I hung on to that thing of just wanting to be the cool chick and the cool band mm-hmm. longer than was smart, you know, mm-hmm. and maybe cause I was not sober and not really together in my life, but I like to think it's not too late. Mm-hmm. It's not too late. And, um, I'm just exploring. I I love being in a band. I'll probably Mm -hmm. always be in a band. I have a band in Austin that's just fantastic. Uh, We've been together over 10 years uh, called The Blue Bonnets. It's a rock and roll band. It's all women and a really great band. But um, I'm also enjoying just being me, whether it means going in my studio and recording a song or writing something. And and that's something I would have done different. I would have stepped out of the shadows of just being... Cool Chicken, Cool Band mm-hmm. and Ben Captain Valentine a lot sooner than my sixties. Yeah. But my next book that is part of the theme. It's like finding your place in the world again as a woman and your or a man as you get in your sixties. Because a lot of the things that define us mm-hmm. in our twenties, thirties, forties, gets into your fifties and some of the things that we've always defined ourselves by, they kinda go away. Mm-hmm. Whether you know, whether you're a wife and your husband and you get a divorce or or your children move out mm-hmm. or maybe your job you know kind of peaks and they're looking for younger fresher yeah. people so many of us have to kind of recreate and find a place mm-hmm. in the world again when you don't have that bravado and youth and unbridled like optimism mm-hmm. you know and it's, it's a real thing mm-hmm. and this will be one of the themes and the
0: sequel next memoir that I do write. Well, well, I'm looking forward to reading that and I wish you I could read it right now because I'm I'm 54 and I feel like yeah, everything you're just talking about, I mean, nothing hardcore has changed in this part of my life, but I've gone through so many variations of who I am and what I'm doing. So, I mean, definitely I'm going to be reading that book. I also want to say you know I follow you on Twitter I saw your mom passed away I want to offer you my condolences Um, I imagine that was quite difficult but I also know you have a daughter so I was just wondering um, you didn't you didn't talk too much about that in your book and I'm wondering as far as your daughter is concerned is your relationship with your daughter at all similar with your own mom and then also is she interested in music
1: um, well I didn't write I actually I started out in the introduction talking about my daughter mm-hmm. but my book ends in in 1990 yeah. so I didn't my daughter until 2002
0: Yeah.
1: So uh, that that would also be a theme in, in my next book. Gotcha. But um uh and I do do an epilogue that kind of references some things that I felt like I shouldn't just ignore <laughs> but um I my relationship is very different than mine with my mom. I mean, my daughter will never have to take care of me if Mm -hmm. I can have anything to do with it. And I've always been her mother. I've always Mm -hmm. been someone that, that has boundaries and, and, and guidance. And, and it was being her mother that made me realize what I didn't get Mm -hmm. as a daughter. And um, so we're extremely close the way, single moms and only child daughters can be we're mm-hmm. really really close um, and she's going to be 20 tomorrow oh wow happy birthday before. so it's not like i i'm, I'm going to be like you know <laughs> nagging at her to to clean up her room and stuff like that <laughs> but uh you know i think it's it's just turned into a more deep it's just very mm-hmm. a very deep relationship she does do music but her passion is more towards film and writing she's a wonderful writer hmm. i mean she's she has got such a singular unique voice that i'm i told her not long ago that i'm almost a teeny bit jealous because her <laughs> writing is just so unique. it's so so good, and I'm so proud of her her writing. So she's trying to figure out you know she's a sophomore in college mm. and trying to figure out different ways to find you know and and do the things that she's good at and that she's interested. And she just made a short film, and she's cool. going to be the head writer of a of a magazine at school next year or next
0: semester. so
1: she's doing it and yeah we're very close but it's not at all like how me and my mom were not at all interesting
0: interesting um so my next my last question you've kind of already answered it a little bit with what's next but you know aside from your next memoir what are you up to tell us what you're doing now
1: Well, my my big goal, I didn't really want my memoir to be next. I wanted to do a collection of literary short stories, and I wanted to do a soundtrack to each story Mm -hmm. because doing the soundtrack to my book was probably the most creative, interesting musical thing I've ever done, and it was so much fun, and I could utilize everything I knew about songwriting or I could not and it was really challenging and just very creative to Mm -hmm. capture musically what the tone and and uh feel of what a chapter was Mm -hmm. and I encourage people to listen to the soundtrack it's it's really special so I thought well this is something different that most writers can't do and I'd like to do more of it because I enjoyed it so much so yeah in my future literary short stories with a soundtrack I would have liked that to have been my next book but it's just fiction is a different animal Uh and I'm always I tend to believe it's always a numbers game Uh you know you write 20 songs one of them is going to be great probably they're all going to be good decent good uh, but you know one is going to be absolutely stellar, great, Mm -hmm. and I feel the same way about the short stories, you know, if I've written seven short stories, I think I better write 50 of them, if I want (laughs) a a fantastic collection, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's, I'm still... I'm still, I, I need to get in. I, I actually applied to a couple of MFA programs uh, and didn't get in. I, I applied to the two hardest to get into in the country because I always shoot for the top. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I, pro- I probably should have just gotten into, just applied to anything and gotten in because that accountability and assignments and turning things in, that's a really good way to work for me. hmm uh so but it's still in the in the works but in the meantime so much has happened that I keep drifting back to maybe I just want to go ahead and do this I've I've gotten so many so much feedback from people that have read my book that want more mm-hmm. they want more <laughs> they want to know more and so that seems more doable but I also don't want to cop out from my literary dreams as well right And also, I love music. I mean, I'm writing a song and recording it right now that I'd like to do. I put out – I think I put out two songs last year, and it's just for myself. It's just Mm -hmm. for, you know, on streaming, you know, and my fans. So it's not like I have any illusions that I'm going to have a number one hit or anything, but I just
0: like it. I I have the luxury of doing things I like to do. Well, that's a huge big deal. I think that – I mean, honestly – that means you're winning and at winning at life and you know I'll say my experience and just stuff I've been going through lately I've had my ups and downs and it occurred to me that at this point in time I am doing what I want to do and so if I start getting down or feeling insecure or whatever I remind myself that I have that luxury and it is a luxury and it's it's something that I don't want to overlook and it's so important to be able to do what you love and if you get to be creative oh my god I think that's like the the greatest gift as a human being that you can live your life in a creative way and clearly you're doing that and yes we all want more of your book it was so good and I want to tell everybody again go get this book read it and I know you're going to like it. And when you do, give her a review. I'm going to review it later today since I just literally finished it this morning. Um, Kathy, it was so interesting talking to you. I know I could. I, I have so many questions for you that I didn't ask. But mm-hmm. I, I know I have to let you go. And you have a life to live and places to go and people to see. So um, before I do let you go, let everybody know where to find you.
1: Absolutely. And also, as well as the reviews, I want to mention two favorite the the good reviews that you see as well that way they're they they go to the top top, of yeah (laughs) so that's a good thing to do too um it took me two years to figure that one out (laughs) (laughs) um so i am very active i do my own social media i do not have someone that i pay i do it (laughs) myself i enjoy uh not being on a pedestal and being accessible i don't like elitism in any form or fashion i don't view myself as a celebrity so i'm accessible on um, twitter for as long as it's twitter and uh, (laughs) the twitter we know and love and or love hate and i'm on instagram which i do different content for all of it I'm on Facebook very little because I don't like it, but <laughs> I am there. I, I, I will look there every – I don't read messages or yeah. anything, but I'll post something there. And I have a website, which is cool. It's not always the most updated thing, but it's mm-hmm. a super cool website, uh, com and you know I'll continue to to grow I've I've considered sub stacking I've considered hmm. different things I I've, I've looked at TikTok a little bit and I just you know it gets to a point where it's like oh my god I need to be creating not creating <laughs> content I need to be creating art not content right 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 <laughs> so thank you for asking and I really enjoyed talking to you and uh and thank you for interviewing me or talking to me. Oh, my I God. It didn't feel like an interview, but
0: like talk. Oh, that's, that as well. that's good. That's usually my goal. Um, well, fantastic. That's great. And I'm author Kimberly on Twitter, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget the extra E. I have books. They're on Amazon. You could go check those out. Kathy, thank you so much.
1: Thank
0: you. All right. You take care. Bye-bye.